Hello, welcome to the Mindset Mastery Show with your host, George Reister. We're coming to you with another exciting podcast today with a special guest, a man by the name of Eric Alexander. This gentleman is a longtime friend of mine and I've watched him transform his life over a period of time. But let me remind you first, to go to podcast, make sure you subscribe, make sure you like us on Twitter and Facebook, make sure that you uh, give us a five-star rating on uh, YouTube and a five-star rating on our podcast and, and subscribe to us on YouTube, should I say. And I wanna also remind you that this is what I call my year of giving, giving everything that I have in, to inspire and encourage you to be the best that you can be. We've got a lineup this year that you won't believe. Each and every guest that comes on is gonna be here for you. Also, remember, St. Jude is my choice of philanthropy this year. Please, if you find it in your heart, make sure you go to St. Jude and donate. You can find their donate button, button on my website, on any of my social media pages, and just give. And like I said last time, you don't always have to give money. You can always send gifts of love. You can send letters to the children. You can do whatever your, your heart and whatever you're led to do. Also, St. Jude, the families that go there, the children that are there, that are there they don't pay one penny while they're there. St. Jude's total mission is to make sure that families focus on healing. So I want to encourage you, join me, partner with me, and be a giver this year. All right, we'll come back in a moment with our special guest, Mr. Eric Alexander. Here we go, my special guest for the week. Here I am again, George Reister, your Mindset Mastery Coach, and I got a brother on the line I've been knowing since back in high school, middle school, and going into high school. And this gentleman has a testimony of his life and transformation and what God has done for him and through him. And I just felt like you as an audience needed to hear this story today. It's going to inspire. It's going to encourage. It's going to move you to make some decisions. But not only make some decisions, but also internalize look 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 internal to see the goodness of God and what can happen if you make quality decisions and if you want it to happen so without further ado I'm going to address my brother I called him Harry growing up but for you we're going to call him Mr. Eric Alexander how you doing brother how you doing George man I'm doing fantastic doing fantastic good afternoon it's, it's afternoon here in Little Rock Arkansas <laughs> exactly. <laughs> wow. So, Eric, let's start out. Get the audience a little background about yourself. And then, you know, if you want to go back as far as, you know, as long as we've been knowing each other, but whatever's on your heart, I just want you to share that with the audience today. Okay. First of all, George, I want to thank you for the opportunity of inviting me on to this Mindset Mastery uh, platform, uh, this podcast. Uh, I'm kind of excited. Uh, all the coworkers at my facility knows that I'm gonna be doing this podcast today. They're looking forward to tapping into YouTube. Uh, they, they always follow me, you know, as, as being a pastor and director of a transitional residence program. Uh, I got a, I would say a modestly say a small following of people who uh, follow 
where I came from and where I'm at today. So uh, it really is an honor and it is a blessing to be asked to come on a platform such as this to uh, uh, tell my story, talk about what's going on, not only in my life, but what I see that's happening, especially at, at, at the age that I am. Uh, like you said, I do want to share uh, uh, some of my story. Um, you did say that it was okay for me to uh, include anything I'd like to. And I, yes, I, thank, I thank you for that too, because a lot of people don't want to hear certain parts of people's story. They only want to hear, you know, the good parts, but you know, the, uh, the uh, bad parts can be kind of abrasive to others yes, in their yes. hearing. But yes, like you yes. said earlier, uh, people need to hear my story. I know the word of God says that we are saved by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. Yes. And today my testimony is none other than this, that Jesus Christ came in the flesh, the son of God and died for the sins of this world. Now, the, my, the Bible that I read tells me that if I testify that, then I am a child of God. It says if I do not testify that, then I am even of the antichrist that is in the world even right now. So mm -hmm. I'm so grateful mm -hmm. today to have that particular type of a testimony on my tongue today, and it's only because of the grace of God. George, you said that this program is about mindset mastering, and uh, mm -hmm. Uh, that's what I am on a road to doing. I, my history is uh, I've been 13 years this year uh, sober uh, from any mind altering, mood changing chemicals, especially uh, cocaine. You know, I'm so grateful yeah. to God that after all these years that, that I am still mastering my mindset. You know, even after 13 years, you would think uh, a person in the flesh would think you've got it made now, but no, that's not true. Right. I have to wake right. up every day and apply the same dynamics and even more dynamics that God revealed to me to help even further me because after a while, you know, God didn't get me sober for 13 years to uh, have me to uh, uh, sit on the couch and watch TV all day. Right. He got me right. sober for a special purpose, you know, mm -hmm. to go back into that same fire he delivered me out of and to help save other people. Uh, yes. My yes. wife is trying to call me on here, but I'm okay. I'm right. trying to, but I apologize. No, that's all right. Yeah. So anyway, um, I want to tell you a little bit about my story. Uh, okay. Like George said, that we go way back to uh, middle school, high school together. Been very, very, very. I could even say best friends because it was a great. It was a group of us. Yeah. That all of us was best friends. We had like a little crew. We wasn't no yes. gang or nothing, but we just. We always was there to support and encourage each other growing up through high school, sharing uh, all kinds of things together. And uh, one thing that's compelling about my story is that I realized today that how much uh, the choices that I made uh, in my earlier development, teenage years, affected the friends and loved ones around me. So yeah. I want to go back to the, the, the moment that I uh, chose to use mind-altering, mood-changing chemical, uh, started out with marijuana, pretty much. You know, my brother, my brother, I had a brother who was shot and murdered in my neighborhood when I was uh, 15 and a half, and he was turning 17. And we were all friends in high school, and he was shot and killed in my neighborhood. And that was one of the strongest traumatic things that had ever happened to me. And yeah, uh, I remember it really that. affected me. It really affected me in my development, especially at uh, 
uh, at my late teenage years and early adult years in making yeah. bad decisions yeah. and choices because my mind was so affected. Uh, this particular brother that I'm talking about was the type of brother, and George can attest to this because he, him and George was good friends as well. Uh, yes. George know that he was a type, he was a protector, not just of his immediate family. He was a protector of everybody, all his friends. Yes. Matter of fact, if there was a stranger somewhere and some bullies was picking on him, he was the type to step in and, and protect that stranger from that bully. And, exactly. Uh, and I, uh, let's, so, uh, let's take let's take the audience back to that day, Harry. Just because I just want to give them a little bit of depth to what you're saying here. Because on that day when Lacey, that was his brother yes. Eric's brother's name, was yes. murdered, we had just gotten home off the football bus, uh -huh. coming home from school, yeah. and Eric Eric's stop was before my stop, and so they got off the bus. And they were headed home and pick the story up from there, Harry. Okay, so after we got, got home and normally what we did in, in, in our little cove out in, in, on the little street we lived on, uh, we would, in the evening after we get from school or whatever, because myself, George was very active in sports. Myself, my brother was on the football team and we were cross country runners. And we used to, we used to train every day after school. We were faithful in uh, running cross country. And when we got off the school bus that particular day, normally what our routine was, we'd go in and put our books in the house. We'd go outside and all the kids in the neighborhood, we would play baseball, a little softball out in the street with each other. So we got out there and started playing baseball out there in the street. And uh, uh, at the time, my oldest brother, uh, uh, that didn't really grow up uh, in our family growing up. Uh, my mother had to leave him behind in Texas. But anyway, he reconnected uh, with us and came up to Memphis uh, to live with us. By then, you know, he was uh, a young adult and he was involved in all kinds of activities that wasn't healthy. And uh, he had been around the corner, uh, uh, involved with some kind of gambling, uh, shooting dice or something with some, uh, some uh, real riotous guys from the other end of the neighborhood, I would say. So mm -hmm. evidently these guys had jumped on my brother, uh, my oldest brother and, and my brother brother had came home. And, and so my brother Lacey, the one that got killed, he, when he saw him coming, he knew something had happened. And so he asked him, you know, what had happened? And my oldest brother wouldn't tell him. He kept saying, don't worry about it. He said, no, I know what happened. And, you know, and, and just to go back even further than that, George, and you probably don't even know this, uh, Lacey used to have a paper route when he was about 13 years old. Mm -hmm. And uh, these boys tried to rob Lacey when Lacey was 13. And wow. yeah, him wow. and about three other guys tried to, and Lacey whooped all three of them. Uh, got wow. to a fish fight, beat them all up. And them guys was always scared of my brother Lacey because, you know, he stood his ground no matter what. Yeah. You know, he wasn't easily yeah. intimidated, you know, like that. <laughs> you know him, and he just wasn't easily intimidated. But then with this particular day, when my oldest brother came from around the corner and and and, and Lacey had knew them guys had jumped on him, because pretty much my brother was so wild. He's pretty much the only guys in the neighborhood that possibly could have, you know, sent yeah. him home, like kind of with his tail tucked between his legs. So, yeah. uh, and I never forget George that my brother told me, he said, uh, he said, man, I'm sick of them guys, man. We're gonna go around here and do something to these guys. So him and all, a lot of other kids that were playing ball with us, they, oh yeah, they start walking in that direction. And you know, and George, I, I think I've told you about this in the past and I remember uh, trying to beg him not to go around there and get involved with my oldest brother stuff. Man, don't go around and get involved in that. And he, mm -hmm. and my never forget Lacey told me, he said, you, you stay here, you scared anyway. 
I'll never forget that. But he told me that. But you know, I had to prove myself. Me and my best friend, we went another route to meet him. We went to the woods and we went around there to meet him, George. And um, I never forget about time I got up to the area where they all had went to meet these guys. These guys was already waiting on on my brother to come and retaliate. And they started and grabbed their father's. A rifle from under their father's bed and on the side of the house, start firing into a crowd of people, and the uh, bullet hit my brother in the chest. And mm-hmm. uh, out of instincts, he took off and took off and ran. You know, and, and, and that's pretty much the, the the doctors or the nurse on scene said that that's pretty much not necessarily the the, the, the shot that killed him. The fact that he ran till he fell, and when he fell, that he aspirated on his blood. You know, because he got shot straight in the chest. Mm-hmm. But uh, that day was the most horrifying, uh, terrifying day I've ever experienced in my life. It even has dampered when I see stuff on the news about certain terroristic acts and stuff. It never measures up to the terror that I've seen at such a young age with my uh, natural brother. So yes. um, that day, i never forget, yes. man, I, I've never cried. And when I say cried, I mean cried uncontrollably in my life. I've never again cried like that. I've never uh, experienced that kind of hurt, uh, like something eternally was stolen from me, especially when uh, we got the news that he had actually uh, died right there where he failed. So uh, I remember, George, uh, uh, when they tried to contain me and got me home, uh, one of the most significant things I remember uh, doing was looking up in the sky. You know, because when we were kids, we were brought to church, George, you know, our family were Catholic, and we went to the Catholic church as kids before we even knew each other and didn't even know we went to the same church. But yeah. I'll never forget that day I looked up in the sky and I said, God, I hate you mm. for taking my brother from me. I said, God, mm. I hate you. But at such an early age, not understanding, uh, uh, and but, but needless to say, those words still came out of my mouth. And once, you know, I say, once we say stuff out of our mouth, because our words have so much power, our yeah. voices, but yeah. God created us in his image and our ability to create things with our voice and what we yeah. say, by yeah. me saying that yeah. there were certain consequences and things I was gonna have to go through because of saying that. Yeah. I went into yeah. severe depression and mm. isolation. Uh, and I think you remember that. I remember times yeah. when you and Ray and a lot of our friends just always try to, and my mother and me, she tried to lock myself up in the room, man, yes. and, you know, didn't want to be involved with nobody and isolate and uh, uh, did that for a good, good while, almost a whole entire month, almost mm-hmm. before uh, I started even come out. And I remember the reason I came out was, you know, I was feeling so bad. I just didn't want to feel like that anymore. I just wanted it to go away. And I remember uh, some friends from my neighborhood came and suggested I come go with them and ride to the park and smoke some marijuana. And it was the first time I smoked marijuana. And uh, uh, I, I realized that when I, you know, I'm, I'm very active in uh, AACA and NA, uh, Narcotics Anonymous, Alcoholics Anonymous, if, if there are some that don't know about that. And, uh, and one of the uh, uh, steps in the 12 steps, actually the fourth step says, do a fearless and searching moral inventory of yourself. In other words, look into your past life and see a lot of baggage or things that has happened and write them down, look at them, deal with them, get to a point where you can accept them so that you can move on. So that's what allowed me to be able to go back and really look at where my issue started at was doing that fourth step. So 
Uh, I started smoking marijuana with my close friends in my neighborhood and uh, tipping off. And of course, that kind of affected my development. Of course, they say anytime that you start using mind altering, mood changing chemicals at whatever age you start using those chemicals is when you stop growing emotionally. Yes. And yes. mentally as well. So uh, hence, that's when a lot of stuff started for me when I was a teenager, when I started to go on this course of self-destruction you know because i pretty much had said you know that my brother's dead you know i pretty much my attitude said i don't want to live either you know right so i wow. so i made some bad choices george i, I started trying to fill that void with uh, not only drugs and alcohol but uh sporadic self-gratifying relationships you mm -hmm. know that's how uh, when I met a little cheerleader in high school, which you know, George, I yeah. met her and got involved with her, and you know, uh, you know, to kind of replace that uh, that emptiness from my brother, and got into a premature relationship, uh, uh, full of infatuation, but very committed to it, and and end up uh, fathering a child in that relationship. Uh, I have a daughter now who's forty. Uh, two years old, and mind you, me and her in the plans of doing a uh, a YouTube uh, video about uh, father and daughter, how uh, uh, things have affected their life and separated them, and 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 what we had to go through. We're in the process of getting ready to do a video uh, to help people because there's a lot of people out there that's dealing with issues with their children that you know they 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 they're in the mates didn't make it, so their kids kind of either was out of mother or father. So I think that can help a lot of people. So going back to my uh, early stage of my uh, drug addiction, of course, I didn't feel like I had a problem because I did not understand the ramification of addiction and how it is uh, cunning, baffling, and powerful. And it doesn't reveal to you the uh, long-term effects. It doesn't reveal to you what's around the corner when you get involved with drugs and alcohol. So in the beginning, I, you know, in my mind, I was just doing something social just to you know, forget what was I was going through. Of course, in the beginning, it made me forget uh, what was happening to me, you know, made me forget about my brother for a little while, but usually when the drug effects wore off, you know, those emotions and those feelings came right back again. Then after a while, yeah, after a while, I found myself continuing to go get high again, to forget again, and it'll come back again. And so those, that, that time frequency started getting shorter and shorter and shorter, you know, after a while, I started making smoking marijuana a lifestyle. <laughs> I know you might remember when I used to, if you would come in my bedroom back around the time I was graduating from school, my bedroom looked like uh, a backstage dressing room of a, a concert <laughs> or something. But I mean, I was just that into the lifestyle of smoking marijuana, listening to mm -hmm. a lot of heavy metal music, uh, a lot of stuff that would zone me out. Who, Pink Floyd, Cheap Trick, ACDC, Black Sabbath, I was into all of that uh, back when I was coming out of high school. And I do remember how uh, that my drug addiction to marijuana escalated and I started to, even in my ideas, as I look back, I used to worship marijuana in the whole uh, ritual, if you will, of smoking marijuana. Okay. And so after a while of smoking marijuana, and I'm talking about a year or two, you know, uh, marijuana stopped, you know, filling that void. 
I guess I would my my body and my mind and start start getting kind of immune and used to that addiction and and so I needed something a little stronger and a little harder to you know help fill that void because I loved my brother so much and he was so close to me all my life he was uh, uh, I mean that's just the way he was he was pretty much my big brother it was almost like my I, our father wasn't present in our life, our, our biological father, if you will. We did have a stepfather that filled those roles and those gaps and, and all honor and glory to him for standing in the gap for uh, some other man's child and uh, uh, whom I learned to call my father. Yeah, you know? but yeah. Uh, so, so in that, because me and my brother had the same father that he wasn't in our life on a day, day by day basis. I, I felt that, you know, I graduated to a, a, a different type of drug, a, a much stronger drug. You know, George, back in the 70s, when we were coming out of high school, at the beginning of the 80s, is when I got involved with cocaine. And uh, pretty, wow. much, uh, uh, pretty much off the bat, smoking cocaine, even before it was called crack. It wasn't even, yeah. crack hadn't even been heard of yet. It was, was called freebase. You used to have to cook it up yourself. And, mm -hmm. you know, everybody wasn't doing it then. And, you know, <laughs> but the people who were doing it then was going to pay a long price for it, you know. And, and George, <laughs> I do want to say it was just a hand of God that was on me throughout the whole 34 years that uh, I was either using, addicted, uh, or, or anticipating my next usage of crack cocaine. 34 years. I, when I did my fourth step, I had to go back and count the years from the first day I ever did it to the last day I did it, which was uh, uh, May the 21st, 2008. So, uh, well, well, you know, that people I'm truly grateful. Well, people see you now and they wouldn't even believe that gentleman you're speaking about right now because you, it, it, so much has happened between now yeah. and then to transform your life. Now, yeah. for the people who are going to listen to the show that have those same experience that you had, can you describe some of the behavior and the patterns that uh, cocaine usage uh, calls you to do and, 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 and what type of um, uh, impression you had on the people that were around you from a negative or positive perspective? I can, George. Uh, it, matter of fact, it's, it's something that I'll never forget. It's something that I can't forget. It's, it ain't possible for me to get because I think there's a line between uh, the person God designed you to be, you know, that's connected with your soul, and then that person that you're being who ain't, you're, you're not being the person that God designed you to be. And like I said, coming through school, including yourself, I had very dear friends and loved ones that meant a lot to me. You know, because these were my friends. These were my close contacts. We grew up together. And uh, as I got involved with uh, cocaine, uh, I didn't know it in the beginning because in the early stages of uh, drug addiction, there are three stages in drug addiction. Your early, your middle, and your late stages. Your early stages are um, categorized by denial, mainly. That you deny that you have a problem. You know, subconsciously and, and consciously, you deny that you have a problem. Somebody was actually say, hey, man, you're smoking a lot of drugs and you're doing a lot of stuff ain't good for you. You say, oh, man, I ain't hooked. I ain't, you know, that's the, right. the early right. stage. You're really thinking you're doing it recreational. But there's other people who see the devastation that's starting in your life that you can't see. Mm. And uh, I remember, mm. George, that uh, I started to do things like be dishonest. 
about the things I was doing, uh, where I was going, and uh, how much I was doing, or even just, you know, uh, start to, you know, lie, you know, for right. no reason. Right. I mean, it wasn't necessary, I mean, uh, uh, to lie about it. I mean, if I was doing it, I mean, just tell the truth. The, you know, the word of God says, the truth shall set you free if you come to know the truth. Right. You know? So I had gotten so separated from Christ and from God and from uh, the purpose that God has for my life, you know. I realized today that God, since the beginning of the time, before I was even born, God had a purpose for me. And the purpose wasn't based on uh, my will, it was based on his will. Right. right. So I was searching for my purpose that I wanted instead of searching for the purpose that God wanted for me. So I would uh, lie, I would miss appointments. I would miss appointments. I tell people I'll be a certain place at a certain time. Yes. And if, if yes. drugs was involved, I would make that drug a priority over showing up for that appointment, no matter how big or small that appointment was. Right. Um, right. I would be irresponsible. Uh, the inability to respond properly to things that were happening in my life, you know, uh, a whole lot of gamut of, of uh, actions and attitude that takes away from integrity and uh, uh, accountability. Uh, so uh, I heard a lot of friends on the way, George, and 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 and, I, and I'm sure you are one of them, uh, without a yeah. doubt. You know, we've had conversations about this over the course, and mm -hmm. uh, believe me, the times that you've uh, expound to me that I heard you believe me, it affected me once I thought about that I've allowed this drug to cause me to lose somebody dear to my life. You know. Uh, Believe me, I didn't become a drug addict overnight. It took a lot of, and it got worse and worse and worse. Uh, the more I was involved with drugs, the more I used drugs, the worse it got. I mean, the lies got greater. The, the deceptions got uglier till I started to get involved with criminal activities. You know, I would even borrow money from friends and wouldn't pay, tell them I'd pay them back a certain day and wouldn't pay them until friends just didn't trust me anymore. You know, so their trustworthiness was out the window. So it yeah. was so much. Yes. And so after that happened, and when I couldn't swindle anybody out of, you know, any funds to get hired, so I figured there was no other course but to participate in criminal activities to satisfy my drug addiction. So mm -hmm. I, I, after, you know, the beginning stage of a drug, drug addiction, and I started getting into the middle stages. So the middle stage of a drug addiction is characteristic about uh, starting going, going to treatment to seek help and start to get in trouble with the law, you know, you know, yeah. so I would start to get, you know, misdemeanor charges and, you know, for the first time in my life, you know, and now, now I'm being documented, you know, with a record, a track record of being a criminal, some kind of criminal, and it usually has something to do with cocaine. Every charge I had, the first misdemeanor charge I had, cocaine was involved in it, in the right. actual charge itself. Yeah, it was cocaine. Yes. Because I was the type, I was so addicted that if I knew that the police was coming to apprehend me, I didn't have the sense that my addiction was so strong at that time, George, I didn't have sense enough to throw the drugs away or get rid of them. <laughs> Yo, sir, I would hold my drugs. Look, I'm going to take a chance. I ain't going to throw my drugs away. Just, that's just how addicted I was. And that wow. the degree of my addiction was so powerful that even some police officers almost came to know me by name and a lot of them passed me by and said, we know he got drugs, he'll go on by And he gonna go to jail wow. with him. You know, it was just, it was just that horrible. Uh, and, and I got to the point where I stopped caring about my personal appearance. 
by hygiene, yeah. by health, uh, 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 just just the whole game and how I looked to myself, to my family, to my mm. friends, to the world. And, and I started to lose a lot of valuable friends. Uh, not necessarily lose them, George, but uh, God grafted those friends away from me for a season. Yes. You know? I don't think none of the friends that I've ever had, uh, even when they left me, left me because, you know, they was excited about leaving the relationship. They left the relationship because they felt like they had to leave that relationship uh, for that particular season. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, because today I find I see more and more of those old friendships starting to flourish back. Yes. You know, with, with the new technology, with Facebook and you know, all the mm -hmm. stuff, Instagram, I'm starting to see people pop up that went to school with us, George. And, and then I said, let me just, let me just, you know, and I know they remember me from, you know, school and a lot of stuff I did. Let me just shout out to them. And boy, when I shout out to people, boy, they respond back with so much excitement to see that because they heard the early stages of what I was involved in. And people had actually wrote me off, George, and said before he's, a, you know, even get out of his 20s, he gonna, something going to happen to him. He's going right. to get killed at the right. he's going He's going to die. He's going to get in this trouble. So to show you that God, uh, you know, regardless of what it looked like in the natural, God right. says uh, it's going to be the way I say it's going to be, you know, and uh, well, my drug addiction. Yes. The thing the thing is, is that those people, including myself, we saw you and we knew you from such a, a, a young age. We knew the kind of character you had and we knew who the real you was. Yes. And yes. we knew that the things that was the, the behavior that you were exhibiting was coming from that drug. It wasn't you because you were, were the most loving, kind person, giving person that I had ever met. You know, you and Thank Lacey you, and Thank we hang around Daryl and, you know, Ray and <laughs> we all were just just good buddies. And at school, your character spoke for itself. And so it was painful to yeah. watch the guy who we knew, the real you, mm -hmm. not being displayed and, and was being replaced because of the chemical addiction, uh, addiction that was taking yeah. place. So, in, in from my perspective, I knew I was looking at this guy who I knew. It wasn't the the other guy yeah. who was being displayed. Right. Even though I was seeing one thing, I said that's not that guy. So, right. to me, it, it kept me loving you and kept me reaching out to you because I knew who the real you was. Something else was just happening at that moment that I wasn't willing to submit to and say, no, yeah. that's my guy. No, no, I'm not going to let that. I'm not, that's not my guy. That's just temporary what I'm looking at. Right. So it kept me so close to you in my heart, you know, I'm praying for you and just, just wanting to always wait for you to come back right. to being that guy. And, yeah. and, and so that's why I want to kind of structure, paint this journey. So the people that are watching, I mean, and the people that are watching and the people that will be listening on the podcast will see that, you know, where it all started from, then what type of behavior it presented, and then what type of roles did it lead you down. And right. uh, one of the things that, you know, we talked about when we got ready to do this podcast was the, the honesty and integrity that we would, you know, share, because this is going to help a bunch of, a lot of other people, you know, in, in healing and, yes. and realizing there is a road. And at the end of the road, there's something better than what you you That's might right. be presently seeing at this moment and experiencing. Now you That's just right. have to get to it. So That's now right. the question I have for you is, 
as you became, as you got through those addictions, as you started going through the addictive pattern, you start creating, having these behaviors, you know, being uh, stopped by the police, picked up by the police, picking up misdemeanors. Where did that lead you? Well, that just led me into more addiction, George, because uh, uh, even after they would pick me up and I would do these smaller things. And like I said, usually they had something to do with uh, getting more drugs. And mm -hmm. uh, the more you do drugs, you know, because they say the, one of the cliches in the uh, recovery circles is that uh, one is too many and a thousand is never enough. So with mm -hmm. that being said, uh, I would find myself uh, without any uh, reflection on what just happened to me. Say if I, you know, got, when, I remember when I went to jail for the first time, I was down about three days, man, I was the most terrifying thing. And I was just in the county jail. It was one of the most terrifying things in my life. But mm -hmm. you know, the moment that I got out and was trying to hook up to get me some more drugs, I immediately forgot about what it was like just in that jail cell, that cold jail cell, eating the cold food or whatever it was and all, all the chaos and the, 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 the things that go with being incarcerated. Uh, I uh, put that on the back burner and almost like I forgot that forever and continued on with this pattern of behavior uh, that would lead me into even uh, worse crimes uh, to fuel my drug habit. So then I started to uh, escalate with a higher uh, criminal element group you know, and it always gets worse. It never gets better when you're involved with uh, that kind of activity. So I found myself going from getting misdemeanors to catching felonies. So of course we know what happens when you catch felonies, then, you know, you put into a certain class, there are certain privileges as a citizen that you're not afforded once you start to catch, you know, felony charges, you know, in this whole, in this country. So, uh, and, and like I said, with no recourse to that, I found myself making geographical escapes to escape the addiction and to escape the pain that I was dealing with. So in other words, I started trying to go to other places. I remember going out to New Orleans, Louisiana, to Baton Rouge and uh, to uh, Middle Tennessee. Uh, I remember going to Houston and to escape to my brother, my oldest brother, you know, he had moved to Houston. So I tried to go down there escape, but I found out every time I escaped and went somewhere else, uh, the problem was, was there with me because the problem lied within my heart and in my thinking and in my mind. You know, from a mindset standpoint, I, all my activities was destroying my mind's development. I was not operating uh, from a code of character and conduct uh, that uh, was based on uh, godliness, biblical, or uh, anything had to do with biblical. And at, at that time, uh, because the addiction had grabbed me so tight that that wasn't important to me. Now, of course, it was easy for me to go around and tell people, yeah, I knew, I was brought up in the church. I know Christ, this, that, and other. I could easily say that, but I was not displaying that with my character and my conduct and, and my disposition. So I started to catch felony charges, George. I would, uh, uh, get caught with larger amounts of uh, uh, drugs and cocaine. Uh, even caught a charge in Middle Tennessee for robbing a store, heavily under floors of cocaine. You know, I'm a military veteran. I didn't talk about that part about I was fresh out of high school myself and you know uh, a friend of ours, Ray Bun. We went to uh, military on the buddy system, and I kind of left him high and dry, you know, in the military, <laughs> and, and came back out, you know. Uh, early and uh you know he still talk about that to this day man <laughs> i left him on the buddy system in the military but uh but but you know that caused 
that whole experience uh, shows that even the drug addiction wasn't enough uh, to keep me from, once I had uh, assimilated my life to that kind of lifestyle, I didn't have the strength at the time because I was dealing with, a, like I say, a lot of pain and stuff from my brother being murdered. Then, you know, after getting involved with drugs, there's a lot of stuff you're gonna compile on top of that. For example, uh, when uh, my the relationship I got in, I told you my, my uh, girlfriend got pregnant with my first child, which was my daughter. And so now I'm not being a healthy father. So I'm dealing with these uh, uh, feelings of uh, incapabilities, you know, cause I know I'm not, you know, uh, being the type of father I should be, you know? So, and then now that, you know, I don't, I can't, I don't have it in my life. So now I'm feeling, you know, I want to blame people. I'm starting to blame people. Now I'm blaming everybody, you know, because of my situation and not seeing that the addiction is telling me to blame other people. Blame other people and you get mad enough and then I got a guy around the corner, you can go get some drugs from him. So the, pretty much the drugs had took over every area of my thinking and then my mindset. And uh, I was without recourse. And mind you, this was way before I'd even heard of a, a narcotics anonymous, cocaine anonymous, or alcoholics anonymous. Hadn't even know those those particular uh, avenues existed because even at that time, I didn't even know that I had a problem. You know, I couldn't see the problem. My friends could see it. Other people could see it. And uh, another thing that was important to me, George, is how it started to affect my immediate family, how it started to affect the relationship between me and my mother. Now, my mother had already lost uh, her son yes. when he got shot. So here it is, her other son is starting to get involved with drugs and she's about to lose him to a uh, a systemic monster that's plaguing our community and our country during that time span. And uh, I remember conversations she would have with me and in her voice, I could hear that just that, that motherly love, just wanting to know why do you do that? Why do you work all weekend when you get paid and then you go out and two hours later, your whole paycheck gone? And then you come back and sit on my couch and then you look all miserable and sad. Why did you do that? I don't understand why, why would you do something? So I tried my best to, you know, cause my mother uh, loved her to death. It wasn't nothing I would hold back from her, you know. Oh yeah, no. It was my mom, you know. And so I would try my best to explain to her uh, what I was going through and what I was feeling. But George, how can you explain to somebody what you are feeling when you don't even know yourself? Mm. You don't know the ramification of the addiction yourself until it then took its full course. And, and I'm so grateful to God that he allowed the drug addiction to take me to places that uh, I never would have even thought to go or even decide to go. But believe me, George, I know this for a fact. God would never take you nowhere that he's not able to keep you and sustain you while you're there. But he will take you some places that he wants to give you a story that he, he know in your hands, that story will reach the right people. Yeah. So, uh, so in my middle, in my middle stage of my addiction, I started to find myself fleeing off to other cities, getting in trouble there, and going to jail and going to prison in other other cities and states. So, uh, I mean, even up to Michigan, I even flew went up to Michigan, uh, one of the worst places to go to to try to escape from drugs. I went to where the drugs was. So, I mean, just amazing the places that I the drugs took me trying to escape. Uh, 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 the way I felt in my mind and in my heart, never knowing that the answer was right in front of me all along, you know. So, uh, uh, and I do want to uh, elaborate a little bit on the late stages because the late stages will start to produce health issues, long-term uh, uh, prison stints. You know, I remember when I was in Arkansas, got in trouble, 
in Arkansas and they gave me a probation and uh, they wouldn't release me. And I kept saying, hey, the judge said I get probation, release me, let me out of here. And they said, no, nah, we can't let you out right now. And they never would tell me why I come to find out. Tennessee had a hold on me, George, for a robbery charge that was like 15 years old. And they said, well, if they don't come get you, we're gonna let you go. But uh, on the, uh, and they will come get you in 11 days, we're gonna let you go. And on the 10th day, Tennessee was there and picked me up, took me all oh. the way back to oh. Tennessee. And I spent three years in the Tennessee Department of Correction. So, uh, uh, which was, I never would, never would have saw myself being incarcerated in prison. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Especially yeah. for an extended period of time like that. And, so uh, now, just, let me ask you this. So, mm -hmm. at, with, with that being said, prior to going to Tennessee, going back to Tennessee for three years in, and being in prison, what was your longest stay in prison before that? Because, and the reason I asked that is because now, remember, during all this time, we lost contact with each other. Yeah. During periods of time, because we I didn't know where you were. I didn't know how to reach you. We didn't know what was going right. on. And, and, and so we became disconnected yes, until sir. you got back home. Yes, and sir. then we reconnected. So That's right. what was how, how what was the longest time that you had been in prison up until that point? So prior to so prior to that, uh that particular stint that I Tennessee can got me on. Mm -hmm. uh, Back in 1995, uh, I had caught a robbery charge in Middle Tennessee, and it was for three and a half years. And uh, I actually did six months, uh, seven months in the county jail. And that was the longest I ever spent incarcerated uh, at that time. And uh, so <clears throat> I went to, uh, after I got out of prison in 2005, 2000, prior to going to prison in 2005, uh, I went up to Michigan and got in trouble in Michigan. Got a robbery charge, home invasion charge, possession charge, uh, weapons charge. And uh, they were trying to uh, offer me 22 and a half years in the Michigan Department of Corrections. And wow. uh, that's when reality set in that if I don't try to do something, you know, I tried to go to treatment prior to that. But usually that was based on denial, you know, just going to treatment for a minute, come out, and I knew that. But this time my eyes was open I, uh, to the fact that I could spend the rest of my life in jail uh, mm. based on the way my life course had went. And so I actually thought that that's what was going to happen right then. When they were offered me 22 and a half years in the Michigan Department of Correction, I, I, I chose, I really thought it was over then. And uh, I, I stayed in my cell and I prayed every day, George. I, I had no family up in Michigan. So up there by myself, I prayed and I went to the law library every day. I put in, I, I, you'd have to put in a request to go there three days in advance. So I put in one every day, so it would be three days in advance. So it would catch up to where I could go every day. And I would study in the law library, study the Michigan state law and you know all the laws surrounding my charges and this, that, and another. And I, and I never forget the day that they released me after 10 months. So mm. um, yes, after 10 months, I was facing 22 and a half years in the Michigan Department of Correction, but God only allowed me to spend 10 months in there and uh, wow. had me released. Wow. And, uh, and I came back, uh, came to Arkansas and that's when I got back involved with drugs and caught that charge. And that's how I ended up doing those three years because I had, when I was in jail in Michigan, to be honest with you, I promised God when I was praying, I was, you know, I wasn't down there praying just saying, God is a man. I was like, no, God, I promise you, if you let me out. And God knew I wasn't gonna, you know, he already knew those closed jailhouse prayers and those promises. He said, well, you might be promising this now, but 
That's all right. If you don't fulfill this promise you're making, you're going to see what's going to happen on the next page. And that's when I ended up doing those three and a half years in Michigan. But I tell you, when I went to Tennessee and did those three years, uh, I was so serious about getting clean and sober coming out. And, and, and to tell you, addiction don't happen overnight. And so that means recovery is not going to happen overnight. You know what I mean? You can't yeah. just so all it took all those years for me to dig myself into that hole. It was gonna take some time and some effort, you know, to get uh, to, to to get 100% real with myself. Uh, so when I got out of uh, prison in Tennessee, I came back to Little Rock, Arkansas, and I went through dr uh, drug treatment with the VA hospital. And and I tell you, uh, I was serious and 100% serious about the program and serious about recovering and getting sober. And, but I'm gonna tell you, I end up going back to drugs and going back to that activity and lifestyle, which which is awesome because what that deals with is the mindset. It was my yes, mindset, yes. George. I wanted to get sober, but was I willing to do the things necessary in my mind to put myself in a place where I gave myself a fighting chance to change my life? For example, I want to, if you don't mind, I want to read a scripture that uh, really helped me uh, get to understand that this is going to be a, a rest of my life uh, uh, involvement and operation in the uh, book of Romans chapter 12. It says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Now, that scripture talks about the body. Present mm -hmm. your body. Now, my mind is a part of my body. And so I can't present my body to God holy and acceptable without having to deal with the mindset to help me do that. Because the very next verse says, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. See, I did not understand how important it was that I was going to have to, uh, because God put this mind, the most powerful thing God created, the mindset of the man when he created man, the mind he put him in, the ability that the mind has to be able to guide him through any situation, help him in this situation, and put him to where God wants him to be. Because the scripture does go on and says that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That's yeah. good and acceptable and perfect of God. So I had to go into my mind and be honest with myself, Joe. I had to, I had to except everything I had done in the past. I kept mm -hmm. getting high and getting high on top of because of all the stuff I was doing. And I knew yeah. I shouldn't have been doing it. So I, I didn't want to feel that. And I, all this in addition to my brother getting killed. So now all these dis choices I made that was bad and I didn't want to think about making me bad. So how can I get out of this? And I don't see no way out of it because I couldn't see the light of God and surrendering my whole heart to Christ. Yes. So the mindset is so important because uh, verse two says, it says, don't be conformed to the world. It says, but be ye transformed. So to me, that word transform has such an impact on me, George, because the beginning of that word says trance. If you look at trance, not necessarily mean being a trance or a daze, but trance as, as it relates to transportation, movement, transport, mm -hmm. transportation, moving from one place to yes. the next place. So it says, be ye transformed by the renewing. So if your mind is renewed, you will be, you'll start to move into a place where God, so now we're talking about the renewed part. Yes. So uh, King Solomon said that there's nothing new under the sun. 
even yes, though he's the yes. wise man, God says, I just beg to differ with him on that because God says it can't because the Bible says any man who is in Christ Jesus, huh? Right. The old man has passed away yes. and all things become yes. new. So to become that new man, I had to have a new mindset. I have yes. to have a new thought pattern. I have to, I, have to, I mean, I had to start all over from scratch and I couldn't start over with, based on what I thought and what I think. I had to start over based on giving my life and my heart to Christ. That's including my mind. Yes. And I have to say, yes. Lord, I give it to you now. And I say, Lord, if there's anything left in, my, in me that you can use, I give it to you today. But show mm. me, first of all, that you are real, God. I've People have questioned this over over eternity and I'm sure I'm not the first one that ever came up. Is God really real? I said, yeah. God, show yeah. me if you're really real. And because if you're real, then I know you're the only one that can get me out of this situation. That, you know? that, that's that's the same God that you said you hated, but you knew that the reason you were saying it right was All right. You knew ahead, that I'm the sorry. reason when you were saying it was untrue. You didn't really believe it. You just said pain made you believe that in that moment. Now here it comes back to another moment in time after you've gone through the situations and tribulations that you went through. And now you cry out mm -hmm. to the God that you knew to be real yes. and honest that you knew was there to, here to protect yes. you and cultivate you and take care of you and guide you and lead you. And now something else is yes. about to happen. But before, yes. you tell, before you tell the audience what that is, they're going to have to come back and they're going to have to listen to part two. So okay. yes, that's why this is the Mindset Mastery Show with George Reister. Yes, and sir. My brother, yes, Eric Alexander, better known as Harry to me. Yes, sir. All of our friends. We're going to come yes, right back to you in just a moment with the second part of this podcast. And this brother, the second, if you think the first part was powerful, yes, wait till you get to the second seen in the act of this life of this brother. We'll be right back with you in a moment. Hold on.